thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Longest-running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine, and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Well, that special music is reserved for a single show in the Midweek Motorsport Firmament. Uh, and it happens that this year it is Series 15, uh, episode number... Are we 48, Tim? Or is no, we're 49. Normally it would be 48. We've gone over. Yes, that's what I thought. So oh, we're already in extra time then before we've even got to 10 o'clock. This is our show of the year. The show of the year show. Uh, it's effectively is our last formal midweek motorsport of the year although we'll have some news about a special show next Wednesday night which is taking shape even as we speak uh, Tim on a packed and star-studded spangly and well let, let's be honest a, a gala edition of the show tonight what do we have or Spangly, uh, certainly, is Nick Damon. He'll be joining us to do his team-by-team uh, -team review of the final Grand Prix of the season, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll also be talking about a lot of sports car news. The, uh, There's a lot of it. The, the uh, news coming out of Germany and America uh, over yes. the last couple of days. Uh, we'll be uh, giving out nine... Count them. Nine awards on How the many, show Tim? of the year. Nine. One, two, nine. three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Excellent. And they've been voted on uh, by the listener. They have been. When did when did uh, voting close? Uh, voting closed at six p.m. UK time tonight. All right. So there was a few people in right under the wire. I hear. And uh, the results are being counted and verified by a team of elves right now. A <laughs> team of elves, yes. Uh, but they're all over the country. They are socially distanced. That's the National Elf Service who are doing that for us, which is lovely. Um, shall we do it? But by the way, 5-2, uh, 0-2, 1-1, one, one, and uh, just kicked off 0-0, just in case you were uh, wondering if we were live. Uh, tonight, shall we do um, a bit of? I've lost my tweet deck. Where's, oh, it's wrong computer. Shall we do a bit of? Um, do yes. A bit of thing. Yes, we should. Um, ha hello to Mark tonight. James Foster finally have a Wednesday off work. Not sure if I'm listening uh, because, and it's your fault, frankly. I'm into eye racing, but um, I'm a long-term listener on the podcast. James. However you're listening, welcome to the show tonight. Uh, Chris Matthias. Hello, Christopher. Uh, off work today. Um, and uh, lots of shopping 
and carts and trolleys retrieval from the lot yesterday due to what uh, was in the forecast. I can imagine what the race to the stores was like. Hello to Andrew Burgess. This week's show looks interesting. You are not wrong. Blue, blur fiend. Co-workers and I got our votes in for the show of the year, listening from the Porsche workshop this afternoon, just to hear the results. Uh, just doing a service at the moment on a 911. Uh, let me have a quick look. Oh my goodness, so the whole back ends off that car. 911 convertible, by the look of it. US spec car. Uh, very nice, yeah. Got the rear tail lights out as well on that, excellent. Uh, Mark Bonnet. Uh, listening in tonight, Stuart Smith, Lelu, uh, as well, Brody, no airfares, finest dinner suit on uh, for the race, for the chase, for the cup, for the quest, of, for the show of the year. Yes. Uh, and uh, also the permanent wear, Jonathan Eisel, uh, I'm Marcel Duke, Jet, as well. As right turn lover, Michael Denny, Sarah Rigby, Daniel, Yoda's uncle, Doug Amner. Hello, Doug. Uh, and also to Oliver Giles, wishing everyone uh, a Merry Christmas. Thank you for all the shows, live coverage and exclusive interviews throughout the year. Uh, as well as Daniel Summersgill, Chris Suku, no AFAs tonight in the midst of the annual study tidy up, which will take much longer than two hours, but it'll do for a start. Uh, at Specutainment, if you want to get in touch with us, please, through the show tonight. This is your show, as ever, on Midweek Motorsport. It's more than ever your show tonight because you have picked the winners in our categories at the end of what has been uh, a remarkable 2020 in so many ways. Positively remarkable for our sport in so many ways. So thank you for sticking with us this year and thank you for voting tonight. We have got news for you. It's not just about the awards tonight. It's tradition dictates. We do have a short to do. And Tim, let's get to the top story, please. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And the top story tonight, Tim, is a breaking story, which is barely an hour old. I was just about to say, this is a uh, recently broken story that's an hour ago. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Which is that Doug Feehan is to step away from his position as programme manager of Corvette Racing after 25 years. Well, and, and I mean, 25 years at various parts of Corvette, um, over, th over th I think, 30 years, maybe even more than that, with GM uh, racing. Shea Adam, our uh, IMSA radio colleague and our VP Racing Pit and Paddock, VP Racing Field Pit and Paddock uh, reporter uh, with us tonight. This broke uh, just after 7 o'clock UK time and thanks to uh, Ryan Smith for making sure we got the latest news. Uh, I don't even know where to start with this, if I'm honest. Um, I, I I wondered if this would be Doug's last year. We we asked him in the show with the 100 wins that we did earlier on in the year in July. And he, he sort of thought it would be nice to go back to Le Mans with the new car. So in some ways, whilst not unexpected, this is a shock, isn't it? Very much so. And, and breaking story in more than one sense and that it was a heartbreaking story to read too mm. because Doug Feehan 
is Corvette racing. Uh, he's always wearing yellow, whether it's a, a Bahama looking t-shirt at the track or bright <laughs> yellow sneakers or bright yellow socks. He is so Corvette racing. I'm pretty sure if you cut him open, it would be yellow and black that comes out of him, not red. Yeah, with a bow tie um, in there somewhere. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, it, it's very much unexpected, but also it there's been a lot of change going on um, behind the scenes with Corvette racing, not in terms of the, the personnel, but just the feel of the team. And over the last couple of years, it's felt less like Corvette racing of the olden days and more there's been more of a GM presence. Let's put it mm. that way. For Doug Feehan, he's the guy who's been fighting, and I say that literally. He goes to the board meetings and begs for money to try and make this program happen. He has been the guy to keep it running through the thick and the thin. So for him to to step away from it, and this was him stepping away, by the way. There, there were some rumors floating about that he was axed from the program, that he yeah. was forced out of it. It's a different feeling to Corvette Racing, and for Doug, he wants to preserve the 25 years that he put in with a team and a, an organisation that he built. Uh, another story that goes along with this, but this absolutely Corvette, and I, and I apologise to Tim because it needs to be mentioned here, is that Pratt & Miller has apparently been bought by a small town in Wisconsin. Um, has this got any <laughs> anything? I've stayed in Oshkosh. Um, apparently, with, it's, with it's not, in fairness, it's not the town who have crowdfunded the purchase of Pratt & Miller. Um, but Wouldn't how be a bad funny idea, would that though, would it? I was going to say that. Be, I so wish. That would be brilliant. Hello, Thrapston. Can you crowdfund <laughs> us buying uh, Aston Martin Racing? That'd be really good. Um, <laughs> they... Uh, they this has nothing to do with this. We, we'll, we'll talk about that in more detail uh, later in the show, probably in the second hour uh, when we do our sports car roundup. And there's so much IMSA news tonight. But, but let's just get this in, that, that these two stories are uh, in the same sphere but are clearly not connected. Yeah. Um, Oshkosh Defence is the company that has agreed to buy Pratt & Miller it's not, yeah, nothing to do with the uh, children's clothing retailer either for the responsible adult <laughs> listening out there. Always in mind with fashion. Um, they bought Pratt & Miller for $115 million. The organization keeps its name, the facility, the team, the branding, everything behind it. And from Ryan Smith, absolutely nothing is changing with the racing okay. program. So, so this acquisition has nothing to do with our Corvettes out on track. That's the good news. Uh, this from Michael Wallace, uh, still in shock, although AFAs from Michael at the sudden departure of Doug Feehan from Corvette. The long one interview he did a few years back is still one of my favourites. He'll be deeply missed in the paddock. If you go onto RadioLamon.com or .co and type into the search Feehan, we have done a number of interviews with Doug down through the years, the most recent of which was in July for the 100th victory. Um, we did one uh, before that, which I think we, we I sort of cobbled it together from a, a recording that I did for a, um, a written interview for the website Mobile One The Grid. Uh, and that went out 2018, I think, Tim, from memory, on Christmas Day. Uh, and and, t and uh, Doug... Uh, Corvette Racing were very kind to let us do that. Uh, and there's a long one as well. There are many Doug Feehan interviews on our archive. F-E-H-E-N. Put it in. And when you've got a few hours to kill over this, this festive period, listen in. Because of all the lovely people that I have met in my working 
in sports car paddocks, in motorsport paddocks around the world. Uh, there are very few that I would rather spend time with than Doug. It was never time wasted uh, talking uh, to Doug. Started with uh, GM, of course, interestingly from what Shea was saying, in 1988. And he was looking after the Beretta Trans Am programme, the Intrepid GTP, and the Oldsmobile, the nascent world sports car programme from Oldsmobile, uh, went over to Corvette in 1996 and has been there ever since. Uh, is it is it a decent legacy for Doug that he leaves after the launch and the championship share for the C8, the mid-engine car? Six wins on the season. Yeah, it was a very successful year for the C8. Um, for Doug, the the pure fact that he was the program manager for Corvette Racing, how many other program managers do we know by name? Do we know by the sound of their voice? Do we know by, by their little intricacies and habits that they have around the track? He is irreplaceable. Uh, and on that note, we don't know yet who's going to be filling the shoes. But as Doug said to us in the 25th hour, the Haggerty 25th hour about Sebring, um, when we were talking about Oliver Gavin stepping aside, it's not time yet to announce the replacement for Ollie. And then we waited a few weeks before we found out about uh, the Englishman who would be taking over at his role at Corvette Racing. We don't yet know who will be the program manager for Corvette Racing after Doug, and it should be the same. We should spend a few weeks in tribute to all that the Great. program was able to accomplish under his leadership. Ollie Gavin has uh, tweeted just before we came on the air, first met Doug Lagunasik at 20 or one recognised on that day he was Corvette racing through and through. Hugely influential on me and my time with the team. Great leader, great programme manager, led the charge. Fantastic with Corvette owners, sponsors and partners. So many stories. And that actually is the best, the best compliment I can give to Doug. So many stories that I've got with Doug. And, you know, we should sit, Dan Binks and uh, and Doug down at some stage in the near future and just run the tape. We really should. Uh, Jeffrey Bell uh, shocked uh, about this as well uh, as uh, Dave Alcock. Simon Hoff uh, is uh, listening in as well. Ted the Toyman uh, listening in from tomorrow. He said, I am listening so you don't have to delay the show. Uh, for me, I've woken up in time. No apologies for absence for Matt Hunter. More on the Torah Radio show uh, for tomorrow night, which is a special show for those guys at 8 o'clock. Uh, La Filippone, uh, also listening in tonight, preparing for the Northeaster that's coming in. Mark Atkins uh, and to Ben Williams. Snow, where he is at the moment. Where are you, Ben? Not sure. Serafina. Uh, last minute work call, but now listening in as well as the crotch belt and others. Dave Alcock on uh, Doug, an incredible character. I've heard him on IMSA Radio. His interviews at the track and the interviews on uh, the network, not just a Corvette guy, so dove devoted to race fans as well as Corvette owners. Not just a lot lost to Corvette or Pratt & Miller, but to our sport. Uh, Dave, I can't better that, so we're going to move on from there. Your reminiscences of Doug Feehan tonight at Spectatainment. What do you think he's done for 
his uh, for our sport. Uh, where would you like to go to? Now? And by the way, I've no clue what he's going to do because he said many times to me, he doesn't play golf and he's not the sort of bloke to sit and look outside uh, and look at, out of the window. So, Doug, I've no idea what you're going to do, but let me know because I want to be there because whatever it is, it'll be a lot of fun. Tim, uh, on our show of the year, where would you like to go next? Oh, I think it's Woo! time to open an envelope. Right. Thanks for all your Christmas cards, by the way. We're talking about envelopes that have been opened. Oh, did you get the one I sent? Yes, yes, thank you. Good, good. Excellent. And happy birthday, Tim, for yesterday. Thank you. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, so the first category that we're going to announce the results of is one that's quite apt for the story that we've just covered because right. it is the category of Race or Rally Car of the Year for 2020. Ah, which did feature the Corvette. The nominees ah. for this category were the Aston Martin Vantage. Yep. The Mercedes W11. Yep. The Corvette C8R. Yep, so two sports cars there. And the Infiniti Q50. Uh, and a touring car. Two sports cars, the Formula One World Champion car and a British touring car. Right, okay. So, uh, in third position, so let's not do fourth, second, uh, 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 third, second, first. Let's do third, second, first. So, in third position was? In third position was the Corvette C8R. Oh, right, okay. In second position... ...was the Aston Martin Vantage. Right, okay. So the car of the year, as voted by Midweek Motorsport Collective and listeners for 2020, is... ...the Mercedes W11. That's very interesting. Uh, which is sort of appropriate because next, yes. as the music fades into the background, we're moving to Germany. Uh, are we? Yes. Okay, go on. <laughs> you, if you're going to tell me where we're going, you have to stick with I told you the second story would be German sports cars. Oh, all right. Okay. Right, okay. Yes, all right, sorry. I've skipped. Yes, you that's have. my You've fault. You've missed a line. You yes, thought, I missed a line. Uh, I've skipped down. You thought, oh, I've done Pratt and Miller, so we'll uh, skip to what was supposed to be after. No, we're going back no, to okay. the second most important story. Yes, you are right. You are right, Tim. I, I bow to your producer skills. So, moving to our second story. Like a set of badgers riddled with tuberculosis... Porsche's <laughs> works drivers have been culled. <laughs> I'm sure they won't appreciate that uh, that uh, analogy. I was trying to think of a better one. I couldn't. <laughs> I'm so pleased you landed on that one. There were so many other things that could have got us all in massively hot water. Quite a lot of the stories this week from now on actually refer to things we've been talking about in the last few weeks. And we were just a few weeks ago talking about how many Porsche Works drivers there were and whether that was sustainable. And in their virtual night of champions, they have gone, I think from 20, they've taken seven out of the 20, Tim. Is that right? Is it seven or nine? 
Mm, well, there you go. Seven of nine. Shay will know more of this. Uh, so they took out nine and replaced two of them. Right, okay. Uh, they they, they brought in two others. That's why I thought it was right. Nine. right. Okay. Uh, this is very interesting, Shay, because um, th- there is another Porsche story that we'll be talking about shortly where one might say, um, has the has the change around uh, been appropriate given what else we know from Porsche? However, this was the story that came out first. How's it playing out? Who's gone? Who's gone? Who's in? And you know, who's gone? What? Who's done what to whom? <laughs> well, gone. Let's start with that first. Um, Nick Tandy, as we know, is now a Corvette factory driver, so he's no longer Porsche. Earl Bamber has had his factory status taken away. More on that later um, when we get to IMSA stories. Patrick Pile, Michael Christensen, Sven Muller, and Dirk Werner are all no longer works drivers. They've added Pascal Verlein and Thomas Prining, which both were the drivers. Um, but one other interesting thing that they've done, they've removed Jackson Evans as a Porsche junior. I'm but quite he's shocked still gonna, by that. I was stunned. I thought he was going to be the next Matt Campbell. Um, He's still going to race for customer teams in the 911 RSR, but he's no longer on their path to becoming a works driver, which is very surprising. Mm -hmm. Uh, And who's in? Uh, Who's in? Jimmy Bruni stays, Matt Campbell, Roman Dumas, who, by the way, is now 42 years young and still going strong. Magnificent. Hope for us all. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Matthew Jaminet. Neil Johnny, who takes up the role that Michael Christensen is vacating in the WEC as the full-time driver of the 92 Porsche with Kevin Estra. Which is interesting um, because he didn't naturally fit into that. He str- let's let's be blunt. He struggled a bit at that at Sebring. I will be very blunt. He was about two seconds off the pace of his co-drivers um, in terms of fast lap at Sebring. So, yeah, it, it was a surprise, but Neil is, is very good at adapting, so he should be able to get in the swing of things very quickly. And he has done all the WEC races before with Rebellion, so he's he's got the experience on those tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leitze is still a factory driver. Plongi is still a factory driver. Andre Leuter, Brad Makovecki, uh, mentioned Prining. Simona Di Silvestro is still one of their factory drivers. Now, Lawrence Vantor is still listed as factory, and this is where I find um, the interesting thing that I alluded to earlier. Bamber is no longer factory, meaning that if they chose to add another um, driver in the GTD lineup of similar stature, a factory driver who's perhaps not platinum or gold, they could do that for the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona because we know that Bamber is running a full season program with Team Hardpoint and IMSA. Lawrence Vantor this week announced as a full season factory driver and full season with FAF in IMSA. So they've got two factory drivers in GTD and one that used to be a factory driver but isn't anymore. So there's a little bit more to the Bamber story that still needs to be uncovered. Uh, But that's not the end of the Porsche news, Tim. It's not, because they've also announced that they're returning to uh, uh, the top class of racing at Le Mans with an LMDH car. I I find this very interesting. Clearly stung by... uh, by Audi's return that we spoke about a mid-week more. Let's bring Nick Damon in, actually, uh, one of our uh, other pit lane and WEC sports car uh, reporters. Evening, Nick. How are you? Evening, John. Oh, to be in a pit lane. Well, indeed. indeed. So, um, we've been reporting 
for quite a long time, and indeed we've spoken to Pascal Zerlinden about this, um, about you know what a Porsche are going to do. They asked their US uh, Works GT program for next year. Uh, that apparently had nothing to do with this. Uh, this is what they've been talking about. They've been, what's the word I should look for, evaluating this for quite a long time. Um, I'd heard from sources very close to to Porsche Motorsport uh, at uh, in Germany um, that one of the things that would have brought them back was if Ferrari had come back. And therefore, there were quite senior people at at Ferrari at uh, Porsche who were lobbying Ferrari. However, what it seems to be is all that had to happen was that Audi said we're coming back, and therefore putting pressure on their 19 overall victories at Le Mans, the uh, most successful overall manufacturer at Le Mans. Yeah, I mean, there's been an awful lot of um, going on within VAG Group generally. Um both uh, in the corporate side and the sporting side. We know, for example, that Volkswagen have pulled out entirely from racing. Mm. There was a very big board meeting yesterday, uh, so uh, maybe uh, even Monday, yeah. um, at VAG, where the key interesting thing was they've decided not to sell Lamborghini and Ducati, which was uh. going to happen. They pulled them back off the market again. They're staying within the VAG group. And I assume well, this, the that's time, actually that's a part of the Audi technology group, isn't it? Mm. Mm. So I assume at the same time, this this was signed off because you get the impression if you have a night of the thousand stars, that would be the ideal time to announce your uh, um, re- return to the place, which effectively is your home in motorsport, Le Mans. But they've um, they ended up having to do it four days later because I think it needed signing off. And my guess is that, as you say, there's, there's suddenly there was this momentum going away from where they were, which is Formula E, hence the reason Pascal Verlein is now a official Porsche driver. He's one of their um, their Formula E drivers, and the momentum now is 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 inexorably well, heading towards uh, Lasarth, isn't it? And in, in Venice, also the, also the Daytona. Well, interestingly, though, they have not, as Audi have done, uh, said that they're leaving Formula E. Uh, Oliver Blumer... No, got... I, I, think that, I think that's probably because they that was an announcement they made in a kind of a, oh, no, we're not going to do it after both BMW and Audi pulled out. Um, I would be interested to see where they are moving forward because don't forget it's not really a case within Formula E whether you just sign up for another year because the key point is at the end of this year we get the next generation so it's a decision about a very large investment so if they you know they it might be they decide to run to 2023 and then swap over their ideas but it's a big investment to go on and whether they can keep all these investments going on or perhaps they just save the money on seven drivers and that pays for a, well, uh, you know, a, a, a an mdh entry well you may be saying that partially with your tongue in your cheek uh, but that's given the uh, the relatively sensible levels uh, of uh, of of investment required you you may well uh, be be correct. Uh, Oliver Bloomer, who is the CEO of Porsche, the overall uh, says the overall company says LMDH allows us to fight for overall victories with a hybrid system at Le Mans, Daytona, and Sebring Classics without breaking the bank. The program is extremely attractive for Porsche. Endurance racing is part of our brand's DNA, and I think even more. Tellingly, Nick, Michael Steiner, who's the board member for research and development at Porsche AG, said that the hybrid-powered LMDH program accounts for the only pillar of the company's road car portfolio 
portfolio that is not at the moment represented in Porsche's racing activities. He said in the medium term, Porsche focuses uh, focus will be on three different drive concepts, fully electric, efficient plug-in hybrids and emotional combustion engines. We want to represent this trilogy in the development of our cutting-edge road cars and in motorsport. We use FIA Formula E uh, as the electric, the emotional combustion unit, which is highly efficient in GT racing. Now, LMDH closes the gap in hybrid, of course, um, closes the gap for us. The other thing that's interesting is I'm hearing from Porsche and, and we're trying to put together... Spoiler alert here. Well, not spoiler alert. Trailing ahead, actually. We're trying to put together a special program for next Wednesday uh, where I'll be talking to representatives from Porsche, from Audi, from Toyota, and from Glickenhaus, and from one of our technical experts from race car engineering as well. And we'll try and put that together for next week. Uh, not sure that we've planned. So that is... is Eve is l- literally working on that at the moment. I've spoken to... Uh, Audi this evening, and I'm going to be speaking to Chris Renke uh, before then. Um, and so we will definitely have Chris Renke on that show. Looks like we're going to have Pascal Zerlinden uh, as well. Interesting for me is what I'm hearing, Nick, uh, two things on this. First of all, the engines that Porsche and Audi are talking about will be different, although the chassis is likely to be the, the Multimatic chassis the lmp2 chassis for multimatic different bodywork but different engines and the engine that porsche wanted to use is and and the reason i'm asking you this is because you know this engine the four liter twin turbo hurrah now well, where where's that engine now uh, that's that's right, that's in the cayenne <laughs> it's in the cayenne and it's in the panamera which is the road car link um, mm. It's also in the car in your driveway, which is an Audi RS7. But where does that engine come from, Nick? Bentley. And so... It's a co-development between Bentley and Audi, so it's not actually even a Porsche engine. No, indeed. But what has that engine already been doing in motorsport? Oh, you're going to catch me out now. I don't know. You have to help me out on that one. GT3. It's the, it's the Continental engine. Oh, sorry, engine. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, yeah. yeah. So it already it was... has a motorsport pedigree, that engine. So that would actually not take that much to throw it into the back of a of an LMP2 car. There are various regulations in LMDH about how heavy the engine has to be, and this is pretty much spot on uh, that as well. Um, so you've got a reliable 24-hour proven uh, race engine to bolt into the back of what we know is going to be a credible contender from Multimatic, and then you throw some Porsche bodywork around it. It's, I mean, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? And it's, and it's, and, it, and it's very, very cost-effective. No, uh, the other, just have you heard? I heard that um, Audi are mooting using their DTM engine. Yes, the two-liter, the two-liter yeah. four-cylinder DTM engine. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm pretty certain that they wouldn't want us to use the same engine. No, they won't. They, they absolutely. Engine, so they, they are looking for a, a differentiation there. No, they absolutely will not use the same engine. I've had that confirmed. I, I'll, I'll ask that. We'll have that in our program. But um, they're I'm not going to be using the same engine. They're not using the Dallara chassis because obviously Audi's um, race cars chassis were built by Dallara all through the glory years. Still under advisement that one, but it looks like it's going towards Multimatic. Now, one might say, Nick, who has most recently had experience working with Multimatic chassis? Yes. Hmm. 
Mm. Yeah, <laughs> not what you say. Well, the only problem two and two that, together only, might make five. Do you, know the, do you know the only downside about this entire thing, don't you? Which is? You're going to have to get the bleep meter back out again if Yost are back involved. Ralph Yutner. Ralph Yutner. Ralph. Yeah, yeah. There's no F in Yutner. <laughs> so remember that, won't you, Ralph, next time you you, you, you talk to us. Um, happy days, though, with Peugeot as well, announcing details of the world's most complicated uh, driveline system. Yeah, the only thing about I thought it was very really sweet they did it because I think you, uh, absolutely I think after we'd just been saying funny enough they, they heard that that we had that basically we'd had um, said to them yeah you've not said anything apart from announcing what are you going to tell us I suppose they, they also thought that Renault were taking a lot of the French motorsport news prior to the end of the season also with with uh, Fernando's test so what they decided to do they they, they printed that out and it looks brilliant there mm. is one minor issue I kind of noticed. Mm-hmm. That the combined output is about just shy of 900 horsepower. Uh, when, when when the allowable is 680. Well, and when they balance that back down again, no, no, kind of going. But did you not read what they're going to do with it? This is absolute. It's genius by Peugeot Sport. This is genius by Peugeot Sport. So Peugeot Sport have read the driveline regulations and they have optimized every single part of the driveline regulations that seeks to hold back the performance of the car. So when you're not allowed to use the four-wheel drive, uh, it will only be the ICE, the intelligent combustion engine. So there'll be no battery power. So you'll use the full 680 horsepower that the engine, the ICE engine, which, by the way, is going to be a bespoke racing engine, which they are designing right now, 2.6, 2.7 V6 twin turbo, hot V twin turbo, um, that will be used then. That will also give its full potential when the battery runs out at various stages around the lap. In addition, it means that the extra 3% that the ACO have allowed you to use as a boost at the end of a long straight giving you 700 horsepower allowable from all your drive systems, can be balanced between battery and ICE, or just the ICE if it needs to be. So this is this is very, very clever software engineering and power delivery, which I absolutely applaud. But right now, somewhere at the start, in the ACO technical department, there are people writing their resignation letters and trying to get out to go and work somewhere else because there's not a chance you can police it and not a chance that you will be able, quite frankly, or it will take from now until 2023 when the car comes out, for them to have half a chance of being able to equalise the technology. It's brilliant, though, and that's exactly what motorsport's all about. No, it's it's very well done, and I, but there is going to be, as you say, it's going to be you know, detuned dramatically. But you know, I'm sure the way they can work it around is to save fuel or to keep things cool, or it may be. But uh, the, of course, there is only one downside to all that, and that's quite a bit of weight. Uh, yes. Um, one of the things that Persia's doing is this high-density battery pack that they're working with Total. Yeah, it was lucky uh, with... that wasn't it that lithium-ion also spells lion. Yeah, oh, very good. Very good. They, 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 put, they put down lion battery, and I was going, yeah, we know Persia's lion, but you do know that that's actually just what lithium ions are, don't you? <laughs> no, that's very good. No, it's... 
Very good. Uh, this from Filipponi. Uh, 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 hearing the Audi wants to use the two-liter twin turn up turbo fire spitting DTM engine in a prototype made me unexpectedly happy. Mark Atkins says, but hang on, the old Audi Sport DTM engine was a four-liter V8. Yeah not the one they're going to use. Although, interestingly, when I talked to Dieter Gas a few years ago about turning a DTM car into a Le Mans car, the one thing that he said was the the engine would be a piece of cake to get the longevity out of it. We wouldn't even have to turn it down that much. Uh, he said, Michael Denny, I have a question. Will the Audi LMDH actually have a Bentley Flying B on the front, maybe for the first 2023 race, the centennial anniversary for Bentley entering the race uh, after all? Uh, and Mark Atkins says, apparently, according to what I heard in the arches, they don't cull badges anymore, Tim. They vaccinate them. Yes. And there's no evidence mm. to suggest that tuberculosis is passed from cattle from badges anyway. I would like to point uh, well, that indeed, out. Uh, uh, indeed. Uh, indeed so. And by the way, whilst we're talking about Porsche and Audi, um, who's to say that Bentley won't be there as well? Because the massive... And, and Nick, you understand about this. The this massive savings... Car, yeah? No, not necessarily. I think they could go LMDH. Yes, they could. Uh, you know, they they are going to have hybrid cars shortly. They're going to have their. F- they're going to be all electric by 2030 as a brand, Bentley, uh, first full electric car by 2025. Um, but uh, an LMDH for them, Nick, would make good sense. And as we heard mm-hmm. Paul Williams saying on the show last week, they have been looking at it. If you actually had three VAG brands using the same chassis, some of the same components, but with different bodywork and maybe a different power unit, although I suggest that Audi would use the 4-litre GT3 twin-turbo as well, if I'm honest, there are economy of scale in in buying things like, you know, switch gear and wing mirrors and fuel tanks and and, and wheels and all of that stuff. And don't forget the other economy of scale. You can sell these things to customers. Mm. The other, one thing which, I do which think, Porsche, you know, by the way, uh, we started with Porsche, which Porsche have already said they absolutely want to do, and Audi have said exactly the same. This, this is, this is an opportunity. Happen, I just say I think I think it's going to happen, and this is me. This is not. I just think that the current hybridization of this particular class of forty horsepower is going to get crept up. I agree. I think it might go to eighty or or hundred, but it will go up because it's two reasons. One, because it was tokenism to appease. The American manufacturers, no offence, Shay, and the American entrants, should I say, rather manufacturers. And secondly, because the ACO is going to realise that balancing is going really hard unless they give these cars a little bit more oomph. And let's be honest about it, a 40 horsepower hybrid system and, a, and an 80 horsepower hybrid system are the same cost. Mm. Mm. Uh, well, I think get them in first and and then upgrade the standard hybrid system. How difficult yeah. can it be? Bigger battery, that's about it. There you go. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It is our show of the year. Uh, are we having another category before we move on? Oh, we are. All right. Have to flip. I'd spec your table, by the way, if you want to get in touch with us. Uh, and our next category is what, Tim? Well, before we go on to that, I forgot to give you the percentages, didn't I? Oh, yes, you did. Uh, so Mercedes W11 had 50... Point four eight percent of the uh, wow. vote. Right. So uh, interesting. More votes well, than the other three uh, put together. Put together. Well, that's a. Let's point out that in fairness, this that was the one I was the only one I was particularly confident about. 
Uh, and, and we should ask as well, Shea, who are you wearing tonight? Uh, Stella McCartney with coach shoes and a Birkin bag is my accessory. Excellent, excellent. Nick, who are you wearing tonight? Uh, Linda McCartney, vegetable fake. Uh, excellent. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> uh, I'm in. Uh, I'm in Handy from Poundland. Uh, obviously, my new uh, fashion line, uh, which is uh, you know I, I like to think of affordable, uh, affordable fashion. Um, or it might just be Ray Bander Jaeger. I, I couldn't possibly say. Uh, what's the next category, Tim? You haven't asked what I'm wearing. Uh, what are you? Who are you wearing tonight, Tim? Well, no. What is more appropriate? It's badger hide. Uh. It's badger hide. Is this excellent? <laughs> well done. Porsche branded badger hide. Uh, obviously, nice uh, houndstooth. By the way, check. you do know that uh, badgers will will never take to having vaccinations because they're very set in their ways. Uh, who's the next category then, Tim? We've done car of the year. Now we're on to bike of the year. Oh, excellent. Which is closest one? I think it will be close. Yeah. And the nominees are, Tim? The, I need to move this computer closer. The Suzuki... In fact, I'm just going to pick or my microphone up. Right. I could make it bigger, I suppose. Let's move this over here. The Suzuki GSX-RR. Yeah, that was the MotoGP uh, championship winning bike. The Yamaha YZR-M1. Uh, which uh, was the uh, US Superbike winner. The Kawasaki ZX-10. World Superbike winner. And the Montessa Cota 4T. Uh, which was the World Trials winner. It was. Um, that was nominated by Johnny. Uh, you nominated the Kawasaki, Nick, did you? I did in the end, out of confusion, yes. yes. Well, that finished in third place. <laughs> oh, oh, interesting. Really? Okay. Right. Uh, the Yamaha YZR M1 was second, which means right. the winner, oh. with uh, 45.9% of the vote, was a Suzuki, G- Suzuki GSX double R. Excellent. Absolutely correct. And uh, some great news, by the way, about the new satellite team for Suzuki next year. Um, Davide Brivio will be very happy about that. Hasn't been announced yet, but is happening. Lots um, of bike news in the second hour of the show. Excellent. And more of the categories as well. Uh, your tweets. Please, uh, to add spec attainment uh, and the big news, obviously, LMDH news. Uh, Audi, Porsche and Bentley already share a chassis, the Q7, Cayenne and Bentayga. Maybe not the chassis they are looking for. Div, all of the VAG group adopted a very clever idea that Audi put forward in 2005 um, that effectively uses... Um, they call it a toolbox or a matrix. Shay and I have had a long conversation in text <laughs> yeah. about but, about what this means. So you have L- MLB, MQB and MEB, uh, which are scalable uh, platforms not rather than chassis, which basically the majority of the whole VAG group uh, are on. Ian McCarthy is a little bit late tonight, but now is here. Matthew Hyman says, when do you think the European Le Mans series will adopt LMDH as customer LMDH might be quite attractive to some current LMB2 teams? Matthew, do you know what? I'd never thought of that. That is a very, very good question indeed. Don't think uh, let's, do you think not? Do you think It'll they'll stick with LMB2? <sighs> yes. Which yeah. eventually will weaken the WEC because then no one's going to be doing LMP2. 
But LMP2, well, okay, that, that's the a subject of a, a very long programme. It is. Um, uh, I mentioned that we Jonathan Gitlin's already just jumped in, by the way. That's a bit of an oversimplification. Those cars, I'll use the MLB Evo architecture, but sure does. A5, A6, A7, A4, A8, Q5, Q7, A Macan, Eurus. It's a box of parts, not a single chassis. The only fixed dimension is the front axle to the bulk head, uh, the position of the engines, of course. The MLB is the longitudinal uh, engine, the MQB is the transverse uh, mounted engine, and the MEB, if I right, remember rightly, is the full electric skateboard chassis. Um, I think the position of the the, um, the bottom of the windscreen, but not the angle, is fixed on that as well, Jonathan, from, uh, from memory. Anyway, let's move on. I said there was going to be bike news in the second hour. There's also going to be some Formula One news, and Crown Court will be returning for oh, excellent special pro, uh, special edition. Uh, but mm-hmm. next, we're going to do Nick Damon's team by team review of the race at the weekend in Formula One. Hooray! Oh, sorry, sorry that. Sorry, what was the last bit of that, Tim? Nick, I think Hooray. the last bit of that was A. Mm. A. Mm. After a wonderful a season, after what a, a so it was, and it was an awful race. I don't think anyone's going to an argue race. that it was not no, an awful no, race. There's no even I, who has argued with John about awful races all season, is happy to say that was an awful race. It was uh, certainly I find the worst it tremendously interesting. I've, I thought there were so many nuances going on throughout the field and, and little battles that were going. Oh, no, no, sorry, I can't. Uh, I can't not even good try. Cheek. Yeah. <laughs> Def- Rattle through your team the worst by race team. of the season, probably the worst race of the decade. Even it's by not even the worst standards, race there. It was it wasn't worse. even the worst against the other races around. Now, there's been some bad Spanish ones. There was minor interest only because there was a bit of jeopardy regarding some of the end of season competition and battles. But apart from that, the race itself was awful. We're going to start with Racing Point. Uh, yes, yeah, so Racing Point came into this uh, this final race of the Grand the Grand Prix season confident that they could claim third place. They were ten points ahead of McLaren. Well, they did get and, a win last uh, time out in Bahrain. Yes, they won an upswing after winning in uh, the Sakir Grand Prix. So what could possibly go wrong? They were shoo-in. Well, unfortunately, it all went wrong before the race started because they discovered there was a problem on Sergio Perez's car, which meant he would have to get a complete new power unit, which means he would start at the back of the grid. But then, of course, he could power his way through, um, but he couldn't because about eight laps in, it stopped working. And it, uh, so he broke down with a gearbox or um, uh, MGUK issue, and he was out, leaving you know um, billionaire's son, stroke you know deserving F1 driver, select your choice here, uh, Lance Stroll uh, to run and lead the team and gain those few points, not that many points they need, about four or five points they would need to retain third place overall, to which he spectacularly failed um, and uh, crumbled like a uh, broken biscuit has been dropped from the top of a uh, multi-story car park. <laughs> So um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I, 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 Lance Stroll is a, is a mystery. He is actually better. Yeah, he's better than a lot of the paid drivers. He's actually worthy of his place on many weekends of being in F1. He has great speed, especially he's very, very good in the wet, which is supposed to be the real telling of uh, of talent. But he is mentally fragile, and and that is a major issue. That's it manifests itself initially by his inability to string together 
um, good qualifying laps where you need to be absolutely on it every single um, part of the sector. And it manifested here where the, the response been his shoulders and he was just dreadful. So the net result was they only scored one point. Will that be enough? Well, you'll find out later in Team by Team. Well, they were 10 ahead, weren't they? So that makes them 11 yes. ahead. Uh, next, we exciting. move on to Haas. Pietro Fittipaldi said he loves Gunter Steiner like his father. Well, that's that's excellent news. Um, Pietro Fittipaldi did two races, which he actually said um, was mainly to be a shop window so he could get a decent drive in IndyCar or IMSA. Uh, and continue being a uh, you know a, a test and reserve driver. Did did fine. Didn't didn't set the world on fire. Didn't make any mistakes. Uh, and trundled around in the back with a uh, uh, with the house, which of course is has not received a single upgrade all season. It's exactly the same as the car that, that uh, went to Australia and didn't race. So they have naturally drifted backwards. Uh, Kevin Magnussen. It was awful at the start of the season, though, Nick. It was poor at the start of the season. Now it's really poor. It was really so, um, poor yeah. in pre-season testing. If you remember when I had one preview show, I said this is the worst car on the grid. And I haven't been proven well, wrong. Well, yes. No, you have, but they have got more points than the other teams, though. Yes. So they actually aren't last in the team championship. And it wasn't helped. And the same goes for Alfa Romeo. That you design a poor car, which you then find out is 30 to 50 horsepower less than it's supposed to be because the engine you bought's rubbish. So, yeah, Magnuson, Magnuson did his last, last Grand Prix. Um, everyone was saying very nice things about him, which was interesting. Um, I think his wild child and bad boy image has been kind of extinguished over the last couple of years. And he got a very nice present of a steering wheel, which was quite amusing because he'd asked for that. And Gunter said, you're not getting it. And then someone had actually seen it. They a, a, actually showed him a fake piece of information or a fake, fake news story saying that uh, Roman had got a uh, had got a, a steering wheel. So he had the right hump thinking he hadn't got one and, uh, and uh, Roman had and then they gave him a surprise one at the end. A surprise goodbye steering wheel. So there we are. Um, yep. So that's Haas. And they now have two rookies who next year will also get no development. Next is Williams. Yeah, Williams um, are not of track which really suited the car. And in the, you know, the managed both both their cars finished above both the Haas. Nicholas Satifi rounded off a season where he's been thoroughly averaged by being thoroughly average. And George Russell came back to earth with a bump, but luckily he didn't sulk about it and still put in as good a performance at Williams as he has been all season. Comfortably out qualifying Latifi, unable to make Q2 due to tyre heat overheating issues, but you know, running a race which was as good as could be expected. You know, he, he, he beat all by one of the other Class C cars. And Williams, we know, is not as good as a race car as it is a qualifying car. So, you know, uh, a par performance by Williams to end the season, which has been better than uh, last year because it couldn't be any worse without actually not taking part. Alfa Romeo. Um, Alfa Romeo, well, they had a relatively good result. in Key Raikkonen, through an odd strategy, managed to come 12th. Antonio Giovinazzi came 16th. And they won the non- non-existing Class C Championship. But realistically, they're going to sit around and think they've underachieved at the end of the year. And you kind of keep thinking, why are you going into next year with the same drivers? Why are you sticking with Giovinazzi and, and, and Raikkonen when there was a chance to take some exciting youth and at least move forward? The answer probably is that everybody knows this, this final, it's going to be the final year of the Alfa Romeo title sponsorship of Sauber and they'll be back being Sauber next year and they'll probably keep their options open for 2022 to employ completely new people from whoever becomes their new title sponsor or wherever. Uh, Beleaguered Ferrari. Rubbish. Alpha Tauri. Oh, sorry, I had to say more. You don't uh, have to say more, no. Uh, 
no rubbish decision making rubbish driving uh they were very nice to each other they were all oh, you're my best mate ever uh and you're great and they sang little songs but it can't hide the fact that this has been a disastrous season uh of which we will delve in much more deeply in the form of review um which i believe will be going out sometime next week uh, Paolo Conte, Michele Verano, and Vito Pavlovcini mm. uh, are the people credited for with writing the song that Sebastian sang at the end. Ah, there we are. You see, he's got credits on his. Well, I think it's Mars. It's called it's been enough time. And it was written in 1968. Right. See, that's the sort of trivia we we have you here for, Tim, because you've just told me and I've forgotten, but it's it's it's, it's marvellous. <laughs> Uh, next we have Alpha Tauri, yes. Uh, yeah, Daniel Kvyat said he put his best qualifying session, Evs TM, uh, in uh, on Saturday, and then his most average drive, um, in that he just kind of didn't quite get the strategy right and and had some problems with his uh, the front end of the car at the start, lost a couple of positions, and then he can't make them back up again, and finished just outside the point. Apparently, in in his F1 career, Daniel Kvyat has finished eleventh ten times. So 10 times he'd be just outside the points. Uh, Pierre Gasly capped a uh, very, very good season by finishing as well as he could do in eighth, picking up another four points for the team. Alfatari have done relatively well, and obviously they've got that win against the run of play in Monza. Gasly's re- rebuilt his, his reputation, but not enough to be considered by the parent team. Um, so yeah, they'll be they'll be happy with their with their first uh, season. And John has a joke in reserve for next year about them as well, so that's good. Uh, Renault. Oh, can I do yeah. it now? No, because we're doing that do story it, do in the second hour, John. Oh, okay, fine. Renault. Yeah, I mean, I think they were theoretically in the battle for third overall, but they were very much a long outsider. I mean, it needs to have you know the other four cars fall off a cliff and then somehow catapult into the lead in some sort of wacky well, race. We already know yeah. that uh, the uh, racing or well, one of the racing points did, so they they could have been. In yes, but chance. unfortunately. Well, not really, because we've, we've, we've reached position nine now. We haven't mentioned McLaren. Um, so, yes. you know, they've, they've at least finished in the points, which would have been enough to, to beat Renault. Um, Esban Ocon uh, let um, Ricardo through because they were on different strategies um, early on. Danny Rick made the most of it by running incredibly long on his hard tyres, which was very, 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 very disappointing, mainly because it proved to everyone that the tyres, which the, the, everyone else put on after the safety car caused by Perez breaking down after 10 laps, were easy going to last the 45 laps, so we were in for an absolute snooze fest. And we were in for an absolute snooze fest in which Danny Rick did um, quite an amusing thing. On the last lap, so his last lap with Renault, he managed to get the fastest lap of the race. So his final lap Renault was the fastest lap race, got the extra points, prevented the uh, really Max, Stam- Max Verstappen from getting a, a grand slam because he didn't get everything else. So Danny Rick, um, a good performance. Now he goes off to drive for McLaren. Who... As we said, started 10 points behind and needed to uh, maximise everything they could do. And they absolutely did that. They managed to finish fifth and sixth in a quite a two by two by two sort of race where the teams were, you know, you, know, you, you couldn't really outrace your uh, car position. You could perhaps underachieve, um, which Lance Stroll did and, and another driver we're going to talk about did as well. Um, so, yeah, Lennon Norris um, and Carlson split their strategies during qualifying, so Lot Norris is on soft and, and Carlos Sainz is on medium um, in that second um, uh, sector. So they, they they were going to be two different strategies, which theoretically would have favoured Saints, but uh, 
Norris managed to get a better start. And then, of course, when everyone came in and changed the hard tyres on lap nine, whatever it was, that negated it. Norris carried on going round to end up, I think, winning there head to head in both qualifying and the race. But obviously, it's kind of skewed by Carlos having slightly more mechanical phase than Lando. But the, the two years of a very fruitful relationship has come to a conclusion with McLaren claiming claiming that third place overall the championship by about five points thanks to Lance Stroll being rubbish and um, they can be very very proud of that achievement you know, since they've I think the last few years they've been ninth in the Constructors' Championship sixth in the Constructors' Championship fourth and now third so it's a steady upward swing I don't think anyone expects it to go any higher next year but they'll have their work cut out you would think to stay in third against what should be a resurgent Ferrari and also an ever-improving um Renault and hopefully a well Aston Martin may have shot themselves in the foot their driver lineup, but let's see. Uh, Red Bull. Yeah, Red Bull. Red Bull actually, you know, for all the whinging that, that Christian Horner may have mentioned, had the fastest car um, in certainly in race conditions. They 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 had the car. Doesn't whinge that much now, I don't think. Well, that's because they've got the fastest car again now. <laughs> also, he's also he's reducing the whinging because of course he's he's currently going cap in hand to all the rest of the teams to. Uh, to make them uh, freeze the engine regs at the end of next year so he can keep the Hondas. So he's, he's currently doing a different a bit, a bit, a bit of a charm campaign at the moment. Um, Max Stappen had a very, 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 very good weekend in that he put in an excellent qualifying lap where he maximised his three sectors and then he found he had the fastest car and he did what you do with the fastest car. He drove away from the field and comprehensively won. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with having the fastest car and winning the race. However, you still need to win the race bring in Alex Albon, who also had the fastest car and came fourth and never looked like, never looked like getting past. Lewis. Distant fourth. Towards the end, Not he just really. he, he he got a bit closer. 1.4 seconds off third. Yeah, but he, in fairness, he was, he was a country mile away into the last four or five laps when everyone eased back because he knew what was going to happen. And, on on and a driver out. who shouldn't have been in the cockpit because he was still suffering from COVID well, and clearly wasn't himself. Okay, uh, he was so Albon, uh, less than four seconds behind second place Valtteri Bottas. Yes, he had the best car and the other cars were carrying that. Anyway, Alex Albon, that's a problem really. In days like that, whilst he did finally get in between uh, and, and disrupt the Mercedes enough so they couldn't do the drop back and get the fastest lap business, mm. which is all would have happened. There wasn't any other strategy that was going to work. They could have just got the other fastest lap they wanted to. Yeah, but Danny Rick got that anyway, didn't he? I know. So in the end, he was pointless. Absolutely <laughs> worthless. Um but yeah, so Alex was trying to spout this as a great performance. But the problem was, was how far behind he was. He's, you know, he's 20 seconds behind his, his relaxing teammates. His Max was easing off for the last few laps. And Alex was going for the last few laps thinking he might see a chink in the Mercedes. And he's still 20 seconds back. So that's not what you need when, the, when you finally get a weekend when the car has come together. And, um, you know, and it was a great performance by Red Bull. But there, there are things to talk about. First of all, it's obviously provided a marvellous fillip to the because the race was effectively not interesting. Everyone now saying it's all changed around. It's all going to be incredibly close next year. It may well be, but things the key things to remember about this particular battle between uh, Mercedes and Red Bull. Red Bull have been developing their car right up until Saturday morning of um, <laughs> the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Uh, Mercedes reported no upgrades since Spa preferring to concentrate on next year's car. The Mercedes were also running with MGUK issue, which they kept downplaying the... Uh, so, sorry, Red of... Bull have been developing that car and Mercedes haven't. Is that what you see? Mercedes haven't developed their car since Spa. Right. They have just concentrated on next year's car. Mm-hmm. 
it was interesting, really, because Red Bull are saying that um, it, it's so much carryover from from this year to next year, whereas Mercedes are saying no, it's as much, it's, it's a bigger change as, as two years ago. So you know, it pays money, it takes your choice. But effectively, what you you're seeing now is is that naturally, if you carry on developing a car for ten races, it's going to get quicker and closer to a car that's not being developed. Um, also, the Mercedes had to turn their power down. I think there's a lot of downplaying that, but it suddenly explains why we saw these cars catching fire and blowing up over the last couple of a couple of races, mostly racing points, but also the odd um, uh, Williams. They've had a problem with the MG UK, which is the uh, the heat recovery uh, motor. So they've had some issues with that, and they had to turn the engines down. And finally, the Mercedes. Yes, in third, I was, actually, I was literally linking in that way to myself. And in third place, former Mercedes was Lewis Hamilton, who, um, yeah, he he was under the weather. He was he came back from from his illness with COVID, and uh, he wasn't he wasn't one hundred percent. Now he, in fairness to him, he didn't at any point say I've come third because I'm not very well, or I underperformed because I'm not very well. The fact is, he's not very well. And if you think you can drive a Formula One car at absolute maximum efficiency when you're not very well, well. I'm not sure you can. Uh, and Valtteri Bottas uh, managed to beat him because he wasn't very well and got second place, but was never anywhere near uh, the Red Bull, which was very, very good. Also, Mercedes seemed to have setup issues. They couldn't get the soft tyre to work. They had a bad weekend. But the good news is that because Max Verstappen has won this last race of the year, Red Bull have absolutely nailed on to be a total contender for next year. Oh, mm. come on. Mercedes Mercedes were running with less power than an A-class on a Friday <laughs> afternoon on the M25. They, they said the uh, MG UK issue only costs them a tenth a lap. Well, a tenth a lap. one thing I'll say to you is that in the in qualifying, when they weren't turning the MG UK down, the MG UK was running on full power in qualifying. Effectively, they were all much for muchness. The Lewis, Lewis Valtteri, and Max, any one of them, they've maxed their best three sectors out, would have been on pole. The person who did it, because he did an excellent weekend, was Max Verstappen. I didn't see the, the Mercedes get within three tenths or four tenths per lap of Max. He was able to pull out four tenths a lap every single lap. And yes, they did have slight, he was running his tyres slightly better. But I'll tell you right now, that engine was turned a long way down to get to the end. It's our third category now in. Uh of our awards and uh, this one is engineer of the year which uh, is also open to designers and the nominees were Gary Robertshaw uh, would everything uh, for United Autosports yeah Pascal Vassalon uh, would everything for Toyota Tim Sindrick Racing uh, would everything for Penske and Pete Bonington uh, would everything for Mercedes well specifically for Lewis Hamilton well, yes. Uh, in third place, Gary Robertshaw. Oh, United didn't mobilise their uh, uh, mm. supporters then. Uh, they really did, but uh, other people were mobilising their supporters too. All right. In second place, Tim Sindrick. Oh. Uh, which means that the winner of Engineer of the Year with uh, 46.52% of the vote is Pete Bonington. They've all all been pretty big wins so far. That's that's very interesting. So far we have. There's a reason for this, and that's because uh, I'm doing the uh, categories that were very one-sided early on. Ah, okay. Mm. And there'll be another category revealed after this. Midweek Motorsport, where we're only halfway. 
And that means we've got another hour and we have uh, another six awards in our end of 2020 show of the year to come at Specutainment if you want to get in touch with us. Still to come, some two-wheeled and four-wheeled news. We've got an awful lot, actually, of sports car news still to come tonight, particularly in IMSA. It's really ramping up. Nick will be back with some F1 news as well. Uh, and your uh, your comments, please, at Specutainment. Clearly, we've got a big audience tonight. And nice to see so many of you have got dressed up as well for our sparkling show of the uh, Midweek Motorsport Series 15, episode 49 on RS1 continues. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. Uh, Tim Gray up in London. Where would you like to go? Oh, oh, oh. See, we actually, and Nick, you'll, you'll bear me out on this. We never know when Tim is going to play the music, do we? It is a Russian roulette of excitement. It just comes in at any moment. I literally said we'd be doing another category immediately it? after Still to Come. I know, I but... Do you know what it's actually like? It's like a bad Brian Ricks farce, isn't it? Suddenly someone comes in and says, oh, no, 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 then there's a vicar from another door. Mm. Where's my trousers uh, <laughs> A question I ask myself rather more often than I should, uh, to be honest. There's a whole thing about a York moment that I, I can't possibly on radio but now my wife will be laughing heartily well in 30 seconds she will be when she hears this <laughs> uh, uh, what's the next category Tim? Uh, we're going to do team of the year next the nominees team. team of the year uh, all right first of all we had Aston Martin racing which yep. was your nominee John yes uh, no no who nominated that Aston was, Martin that was, was that Johnny, Johnny. yeah yep. Shay you nominated the Porsche GT team I did uh, John, you nominated United Autosports. Oh, I've just heard my wife laughing about yep. my Porsche, my uh, York uh, joke. Yes, uh, Paul, uh, no, I, I, uh, yes, United Autosports. Yes. Was and me, Nick, yes. you yep. nominated Mercedes AMG Formula One. The only team in all of that who only did one category. Yeah, seventeen races. <laughs> Call that a season. Uh, in third place. In third. Um, the Porsche GT team. Final season for the moment in IMSA, although as we know, they'll be back in 2022-23 uh, with LMDH. In second place, Mercedes-AMG Formula One. Uh, mm. So it's between Aston Martin Racing and United Autosports. Both had very good years. And our winner of the team of the year in well, the show one, of the year. One of, one of these uh, nominees got 9.72% of the vote. The other got 55.69% of the vote. Wow. Wow. Whoa. A big winner. And 55.69% of the vote went to United Autosports. Very, very well deserved, I think, for Richard Dean and the team. Zach Brown as well, of course. And maybe next year we'll be talking about McLaren as well, because if there was a much improved team of the year, they would have been my nomination for that. Uh, winning in every category that they entered United Autosports, took all the big races as well. Congratulations to Richard Dean and the rest of United Autosports. Uh, still to come, uh, we have Young Driver, 
Uh, we have Power Unit of the Year, yes. Race of the Year, Non-Drive of the Year, the Listener's Award, and, of course, uh, our big award, the Person of the Year. But we've got news this week on Midweek Motorsport as well. Tim, where would you like to take us next? Do you want to do bikes next? Because you kind I of can do. have almost done this story already. Uh, we have uh, some changes to who's going to be entering uh, MotoGP under what status, don't we? Uh, yes, which particular... Where would you like to lead us into for that, then? Uh, why don't you do the bit that you've already done? All right. Uh, Nick Dearman, uh, uh, one of uh, our bike correspondent, as well as uh, our F1 correspondent, is is with us now. Looks like Suzuki, Nick, are going to get their satellite team. That Davide Brivio was, was sort of somewhat phlegmatic about not having at the start of this year. It hasn't hurt them, but it won't hurt them to have one uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, certainly it would it would help them to have established the uh, the team's championship because obviously you get paid, paid, you get points for just your best finishing uh, bike, be it a works bike or a satellite bike. And considering they had a couple of races with double failures, uh, that would probably give them enough points to have tipped uh, Ducati in the championship. But yeah, I mean, I think that it is a, a point that when you, you know, when you can get that extra development, you can get four bikes on the uh, the track at any one time, it, it pays dividends. So yeah, I'm sure they'll be very chuffed to have uh, picked up a, and also obviously gives you a chance to develop bike about uh, riders as well. And and who are we talking about? Which team are we talking about who've had a falling out with their, or at least have decided to leave their current manufacturer? Gressini. Yes. And they have been racing? Well, they've been, they haven't been re-racing, have they? They've been trundling around the back with the Aprilia. <laughs> and okay. that's our first trundling reference of the night. Yes, although <laughs> that has been picked up by uh, a number of, uh, of other sports commentators. Uh, they are not a bad team. Uh, historically, they've had results in the past. Uh, Nick and you know obviously uh, Prilla have have had their issues this year it's still a coming brand Uh, it hasn't been announced that they're going to uh, Suzuki yet but their smart money is on that Um, uh, we've had Sky Racing team and VR46 unveiling their liveries uh, as well what else have we got Tim that you want to talk about in uh, in MotoGP or in uh, who is uh, KTM's new test rider? Ah, uh, new. I thought it was just. The, I thought it just having um, Danny Pedrosa and Mika Calio carrying on. Correct. Indeed, yes. There's nothing new about it at all. They've kept the two oh, okay. existing Trick test Trick question. <laughs> See what he did there. That's just too clever. <laughs> and and. Uh, who thinks uh, using the A-Spec Yamaha this year wasn't an advantage? Anybody who was on the A-Spec Radio. Yamaha? Quattararo. Morbidelli. Really? Mm. Okay. Really? I thought Morbidelli did pretty... Oh, sorry, because he wasn't on the A-Spec bike, of course. He was on last year's chassis with this year's engine. Mm. Well, this Which year's engine good. wasn't no. exactly an advantage. Uh, who's very angry? No. Because like, did you see, by the way, just, just about Mark Marquez, did you see that he ended up he was he's he's fallen out with um the MotoGP doctors? Yes. He's blaming them for his injury because they didn't tell him not to race severely enough. I mean, the arrogance of the man is ridiculous. He was told well, just let's not go there. No. Let's not go there. Uh, carry on. 
Uh, it was Paula Spargo. No, it wasn't. It was Alex uh, Spargo. Sorry. Says oh, he's very, yes, he's very upset with being having, uh, uh, with the Prilia because they went nowhere all year. Yeah. Apart from the apart from the uh, was the court of arbitration for sport, and they lost there as well. Did he say? <laughs> I felt like all we did was go round and round in circles. Oh, yeah. Uh, before we leave, leave bikes, we've got some sad news. Uh, the death yesterday of Alan Holmes, uh, twice a winner of the Manx Grand Prix, who died at the age of 91. Oh, that's a canny, that's a canny innings, though, isn't it? Let's be honest. He was uh, the first Manxman to achieve the double in the junior and senior uh, Manx Grand Prix back in 1957, uh, something that's only happened a couple of times since, and uh, it wasn't matched until 1994. Blimey. And he was absolutely adored on the island, as you can imagine, with that kind of background. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, uh, sorry, our condolences to uh, Alan's friends and family. Um, even with a decent innings, it's always a shock uh, at the end of a life because you never have enough time. Series 15, episode number 39. It is our show 49. of the year. Uh, 49, excuse me, yes. Uh, 39 for the uh, Christmas discount uh, is where we are at the moment. Uh, Frantic Friday coming up. Uh, do we have some news on programmes coming up this week, Tim? Uh, yes, tomorrow night. Uh, it's a special Christmas edition of the Tora Radio Show, which will feature Matt, Ben, Lewis and Jordan, mm. uh, as well as two special guests, mm-hmm. um, one of whom uh, making a return to the Tora Radio Show. Oh. Uh, and uh, the other one's been there as well, but he's... Uh, less associated with the show. Um, their main talking points will be the purchase of Codemasters by Electronic Arts. Oh, yes. Or EA Sports, yeah, as they th- like to be called these days. Yeah, this is a big story. And BMW's answer to the uh, sensible furniture question. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So two hours of Tory Radio Show tomorrow at have 8 they got their Christ- Did you say they've got the Christmas quiz? Have they got the Christmas quiz tomorrow as well? I they haven't mentioned that they're doing a quiz. Okay. Uh, I, I hope they do, because if they're talking about EA Sports, surely it's in the game. It's in the micro-purchases, actually. Well, that's fair enough. 8pm tomorrow. <laughs> uh, okay. Asian Le Mans Series news. Right. Uh, Fire because away. Uh, United Autosports, having just won an award in our show of the year, awards... Have immediately announced something. Have immediately <laughs> announced uh, that they'll be returning to the Asian Le Mans series this year with Andy Merrick, Ian Loggie and Rob Weldon in one car and Jim McGuire, Duncan Tappy and Andrew Bentley in a second. Uh, plus a possible third car with no drivers announced yet. Uh, yeah, yeah um, I-, I think they will get the third car... Um, although we're not going to see them in uh, at Rolex because they're, as we sort of said a couple of weeks ago, Shea, they wanted to run with bronze drivers. They were, were hoping for, I think, an LMP2 AM type of category in IMSA, which hasn't happened, has it? So, so they're going to eschew that. But it looks like, well, certainly two, possibly three for Asian Le Mans series. Uh, they'll have to go well to beat the defending Asian Le Mans Series champions Algarve Pro Racing, but with Andy, Ian and Rob in one car and Jim McGuire, Duncan, pa- 
Chappie and Andrew Bentley in the other. That, that's a pretty stout line up there. Yeah, it really is. And and you're right. They wanted um, a different set of categorizations for LMP2. There is something similar to that in LMP3, but mm. that's not the class in which they wanted to compete. Uh, so no Rolex for them. But yeah, a lot of announcements coming out of United Autosport this week and, uh, and McLaren too, as Nick was talking about earlier. So it's been a big week for them. Topped off, of course, by winning the team of the year. Yeah, and you mentioned, you mentioned Argo exactly. Pro Racing there mm. um, because they've also announced some drivers for the Asian Le Mans series. Uh, John they Feld, have. Uh will be making his Asian Le Mans series debut. Uh, Rui Andrade will oh. be joining him. He's also uh, making his Asian Le Mans series debut. And so will Franco Colapinto. Uh, uh, John, I think, is the only one of those three, Shea, who's driven LMP2 before. In that car. Yeah, and, and uh, he drove an LMP2 as recently as uh, Le Mans with Algarve Pro, and um, Matt McMurray was in the car with them for that weekend, and uh, Simon Trummer, if memory serves. But John Falp will be a good set of hands. He's, he's very stable in the LMP2 car, so that's a good selection. It's going to be a different set of tracks for him to learn, though, but yeah. the second car, thankfully, is the one where all the experience is. Uh, all, uh, you say all set of tracks, spot. but you've got yeah. uh, Abu Dhabi and p- a possible alternative variant of Abu Dhabi, plus Correct. Abu Dhabi by night. Yes. Yeah, And it's all then Abu, Abu, Dhabi. Abu Dhabi in less night, but still not daylight. What's <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, on Thursday the 4th of February? Uh, they've also um, they've, uh, already uh, announced the second their second as well, crew yes. as well, Stuart and Sam Cook. So haven't they? More Tim, experienced, uh, a lot more experienced than the first one because it contains Rene Binder, Ferdinand Habsburg, <laughs> and Ye Yi Fei. Yep. Uh, now you know all about Ye Yi Fei because he's won a. Uh, he's a champion in junior single seater <laughs> ranks. <laughs> there you go, junior single seater racing. Yes. What did he do? What did he win? Uh, he's the Chinese driver who won the Euro Formula Open Championship in 2020. Former uh, member of the Renault Sport Academy. Is he not still a... Ah, right, no, he, he probably isn't no, now if he's, he's got not. it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, his manager uh, has a familiar name as well. Which is? Mukesh Jani. Oh, really? Who is the father of... Neil. Neil, yes. Neil Janney, yeah. Uh, and whilst we're in Asian Le Mans series, got some GT news there as well. Did I mention this? He also won the French Formula 4 Championship in 2016. No, you didn't, but I'm, I knew you'd want to get that in uh, as well. Did you say GTs? <laughs> I did. In uh, Asian Aston Le Mans Martin, D Station Racing is back with a GT3 Vantage for uh, Satoshi Hoshino, Tom Gamble, uh, and uh, Tomonobu Fuji. Uh, Tom Gamble, a nominee in one of our categories later on, Young Driver of the Year. Uh, and that they are running as Aston Martin D Station, so they must be getting some support from, from the works, I guess. Uh, at least some technical support. Asian Le Mans Series looking absolutely quality. Uh, all of their races running in, what, a, f- a three-week or a four-week period? In, in it's 16 days. In February? Yes, from the 4th to the 20th. Couldn't be happier for Andy Merrick, by the way. Um, he has been a teammate of mine, and he I learned an awful lot from Andy every time I got out of the car and every time I got into the car after he'd been in the car. And that was that was just a 924 Porsche, but he, he's that, that just was just about how the seatbelt fits together. <laughs> First, left and up. <laughs> Let's move on. 
time for Power Unit of the Year. Is it? Ooh, this right, is one of our on new then. categories for 2020. Yeah, this one sort of caught me out a little bit. Uh, nominated, we have... Uh, the Mercedes W11 EQ Performance. That was nominated Formula by one Nick, presumably. Yeah, uh, oh, from from all the way over at Brixworth, which is a mere, uh, a, a mere head stood throw from where I am right now. Uh, then we had the Hyundai 2.0 TCR, which was nominated by John. The Nissan LMP3, nominated by Johnny Palmer. I'm still not sure if he was joking. Uh, and the Mazda DPI, which was nominated by Shay. <laughs> For this, the four-cylinder, uh, a four-cylinder, six-cylinder, two four-cylinders, a six-cylinder, and a V8. Uh, and your voting went like this. In third place, the Nissan LMP3. Ooh. Okay, Ooh. very good, very good. In second place, the Mazda yeah. DPI. Oh, dang it. <laughs> and our... Midweek Motorsport, listeners' no. uh, choice, if, if oh, you will. Oh, well, yes. I thought you were going to say listeners' award, which clearly we're going no, no, to no. much uh, later. Uh, midweek Motorsport, power unit of, of the year, as voted by you, the listener, is what I should have said. Yes. Is. With 58.13% of the wow. vote. That's another, that is another, that is a mandate. This uh, award goes to the Mercedes W11 EQ Performance. Nick again. Indeed, Nick again. Mm. Well, it's not me. It's just the you know, they're quite good. It's just our listenership are more Formula One centric than they like to make us believe. Clearly, <laughs> or We've if they aren't, that. or if they aren't, in fairness, they are open to understanding. Where excellence lies within motorsport, and I, think, I don't have. I think listen, we've done a very good a job of explaining the nuances yeah. of Formula One this year. Yeah, I I don't have a problem with that. We aren't a Formula One program, and although we've got Le Mans in part of our name, we're not a sports car program, particularly not here on Midweek Motorsport. We like to be a broad church, and I, and I think it, we even you do know, rallying sometimes. Oh, stop it! <laughs> the last rally of the year was outstanding. Anyway, uh, moving on. Where would you like to go to next, Tim? Uh, let's do. That kind of has to come after that one. Let's do some IMSA news then. Uh, Shay, you're going to tell us about TF Sport. Woohoo! Okay, we've got a lot of IMSA news. Yeah, TF Sport. They announced that they're coming to play the Rolex in January. Hurrah! With Quite a decent driver lineup, yes. as a matter of fact, and and a very decent livery too. Need to say uh, that one caught a lot of people's attention. But 97 Aston Martin will be driven by Stand by Your Beds, Max Root, Charlie Eastwood, Ben Keating, and Westy. That's quite the lineup. Uh, I thought it was Crisoni, Man, Nielsen, and Sarah. Oh, sorry. That. So Ah, yes. Is yes. Of course. Yes, of course announced. it is. Even as I read that, I thought, hang on, they're not Aston drivers. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at the wrong story. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, sorry, let's go back to the Aston. Um, yeah. the, the Aston, uh, Ben Keating, you mentioned there, not content. And frankly, I think this is, I love Ben. I love it when he talks. He could read the, he could, uh, read the Texas phone book to me and I would listen to it. But frankly, he's been greedy here because driving an Aston Martin uh, GT3 car isn't enough for him. No, Ben Keating does not like to drive just one car at the Rolex. I believe he's been driving in two cars since at least 2014, perhaps even 2013. Um, but his second car, 
an LMP2 machine because you can't do two cars of the same category. He's back with PR1 Matheson, where he took the pole position at Daytona uh, back in January. Nico Lapierre, Nicol Jensen, and Scott Huffaker joining him in that car, which bears the wins livery. So that's quite a lineup there as well. Uh, yes, and, as you, uh, and, and we sort of strayed into Ferrari territory with that, with AF Corsa, who are bringing a GTD car. All right, a little bit, maybe a little bit of disappointment in some areas that it isn't a GTE car, but what a lineup that is. They've been in GTD the last uh, number of years, though, at the Rolex. Uh, they've taken pole positions there, too. So Matteo Cressoni, Simon Mann, Nicholas Nielsen, and Daniel Serra, as you rightly yeah. mentioned a few moments ago, quite an impressive lineup, especially when you consider the European champions running in that car as well. Um, and also, it is worth noting, I mentioned FAF a little bit earlier with the full season for Vantor and Robichon. They're joined by Lars Curtin and Matty Campbell, for the Rolex. So uh, we've got some serious firepower showing up in GTD. Uh, oh, yeah, have we? Uh, have we ever? Um, we've managed in Lawrence Vantour already. Uh, let's uh, let's fill in the blanks there because it's going to be Zach Robichon that he's racing with in a Porsche. Yeah, for FAF, which is going to be a really solid lineup. And it... So the reason that I was talking earlier about the fact that Porsche mixing up their works drivers and whatnot, last year, if you remember, Dennis Olsen went from being a works driver to not a works driver because he was supposed to do the full year with Zachary Robichon and GTD. They were joined by factory driver Patrick Pile mm. for the Rolex. Um, they've elected to maintain Larry as a works driver. But yes, full season against Bamber, GTD is going to be stacked as far mm. as uh, the driver talent is concerned there. But I'm really excited to welcome back FAF to a full season of racing. Have really, really missed that plaid Porsche in yeah. our competition. And but it, is, it means we're it gonna is have... going to be back in plaid again as well, I hear. Yeah, yeah. From what I'm hearing, uh, Steve Bortolotti said that we need the plaid back in IMSA. Um, the downside is we're going to go from having one Porsche, and I say downside in terms of a team being able to come in and sort of manipulate the BOP however they want. Let's not mm. put our heads in the sand and pretend that doesn't happen. If you're a one-car, one-manufacturer team at IMSA, it's a lot easier to control your own fate than if there are five-plus cars. And my count right now for full season in IMSA is up to six GTD Porsches. Oof. So it's going to be a very difficult um, balancing act for FAF than it was the last time they ran full competition. Uh, just to say that it's uh, nil two, nil nil, one one, and one one uh, at the moment in some of the football scores. Uh, let's move away from the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship in IMSA uh, and over to some of the Challenger series. We're not sure what LMP3 Cup is going to look like this year with the LMP category in the big show, but we do know is Gar Robinson will be in a car with a decent core driver. We have the Riley confirmation. They're going to be running two LMP3 cars. This is actually in WeatherTech. All right. Uh, Jim Cox, Dylan Murray are the full season drivers of the 91. They're sharing with Jerome Bleak-Mullen and Austin McCusker for the endurance race. Right. Gar Robinson is keeping 74 with the familiar uh, Ranch 74 livery on it that his dad oh, used wow. to run, George. Really? The blue and orange. Excellent. Yep. Good. Full season pairing with Felipe Fraga. And joined for the endurance races by, wait for it, Scott Andrews and Oliver Askew. Oh, wow. 
Wow. Yeah, so that's going to be fun. Well, that's interesting you should mention that because we'll be talking about Oliver Askew with uh, you and Jeremy in our uh, in our IndyCar review uh, coming up. Uh, I think that's later this evening. Is it Tim for that one? Yes. Excellent. When we finish tonight, uh, good. Uh, I'm pleased I got my notes together. For that. And that so that car, the Gar Robinson Fraga car, is in the WeatherTech. I I, I read yes. that from the release that that was going to be in LMP3 Cup. That's so it's in WeatherTech for the season. It's in WeatherTech for the season, and there's actually been some uh, management shifting within Riley's organization because he's going to be running in three different series mm. across the platforms. He's got the Ferrari Challenge. Uh, hand in that as well so he's actually putting different people in charge of different programs but it's still going to be a very uh in detail in depth sort of thing but yes two lmp3 cars to worry about during the rolex he's also got this toyota program that has not yet been announced for drivers lineups for gt4 and michelin pilot challenge yeah that's just broken this evening as imsa welcome another manufacturer uh, to their championships. This is the GT4 Supra, widely trailed. In fact, the car was at, uh, now, it was at Michelin uh, Raceway Road Atlanta. Was that for uh, Petty Le Mans or was it for the six-hour race? But they were there. That was the six-hour six hour race. Yeah. I saw the trailer and texted you and that's said, right. um, hello. <laughs> hello. Yeah, so that that's going to, we know that car, uh, at least one of those cars, probably two of those cars, will be in there. So that's another manufacturer for IMSA with that uh, Gazoo Racing designed and developed uh, Toyota Supra GT4 car, which is uh, interesting looking. It's it's growing on me. It's going to be uh, very livery dependent, I think, that car. Uh, oh, talking about liveries, Andy Blackmore's got a livery for uh, TGM. We're talking about them with their Porsche and their liveries being revealed as well today. Yeah, they have uh, another one of those orange and blue cars, but it's got the white on it. It looks very traditional Porsche um, as far as they are concerned for Hugh Plum, Matt Plum, Owen Trinkler, and Ted Giovannis. And if you haven't yet seen the livery and you don't have access to a computer, picture the uh, GT4 cars that they ran back mm. in what was the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge. Very reminiscent of Very that, good. but it's just got that little bit of an extra kick that Andy tends to put on things that make it look even better. We talked uh, about... Uh, you talked about the GT4 uh, cars that they run there. Archangel in Mission and Pilots Challenge. Uh, what are they doing for next year? Uh, more of the same. They've decided not to change manufacturers again. So they are staying with Aston Martin after finishing out the last two rounds of the championship with that manufacturer. That's actually are... a headline, isn't it? Uh, Archangel and Alan Brynjolfsson doesn't change car uh, for start of new season uh, because he's, he's been through every manufacturer so far, hasn't he? It's it's true. Um, but the big news is that Brynjolfsson and Hinman are staying together again. Smart. And of course, this is going to be a different looking season because Archangel will also be running the Magnus duo of uh, John Potter and Andy Lally as far as GT3 cars are concerned so they're going to be a bit busier on every race weekend uh now talking about people holding on to cars or not in mission of pilots challenge tcr brian hurt at autosport uh not convinced with developing and debuting and winning with uh hyundai veloster n tcr last year they've decided to, to give it a go with a different car for 2021 <laughs> 
still a Hyundai, which is the good news. Um, but I'm just going back to uh, Tony Dezino's tweet from earlier on today. Six Hyundais are confirmed in 2021 as far as TCR is concerned. Mm-hmm. We've got from Brian Herda the 33, which will be uh, Mark Wilkins and Harry Gottsacker in an Elantra. The 98, which will be Ryan Norman, the champion from this year, and Parker Chase in the Elantra. Mm-hmm. And then stand by because all the rest of these are Velosters. The 54, which will be Michael Johnson and Steven Simpson, run under the Brian Herta Autosport banner. Taylor Hagler, who made her debut with Honda this year in the series, is teaming up with Michael Lewis in the 77 Veloster. And then we've got two cars from Copeland Motorsport. They, we have the two Tylers who made their debut this year. They're going to be in that same Veloster. And then AJ Muss is doing a full season alongside Mason Filippi mm. in another Veloster. We could see more Hyundais, though, because there are still teams with them. They just haven't announced their plans yet. I thought there were three BHA Elantras. This is the new shape. This is the saloon, the sedan shape, very reminiscent of the uh, the fastback that I tested recently and we posted recently it's on the front page at RadioLamont.com. Uh, I, I thought BHA were running three of those shades. Do, do we think only two then? I think they have three chassis. They're keeping one as a spare in case okay. they need it. Um, but it it's a very teardrop-shaped car. It's very pretty. It's I lovely. like it. Uh, well, the road-going version, as I say, was, was phenomenal. Uh, and um, uh, the Simpson-Johnson uh, team, of course, moving over uh, to BHA from... They were racing an Audi in the past, weren't they? They were, and before that, they were in a BMW. So it's oh, yes, their third different manufacturer as well. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. It's looking good already for the Michelin Pilot Challenge. Uh, before we leave uh, this part of sports cars, and, and particularly IMSA, um, a bit of news about uh, Team Netherlands, uh, who are coming to the Rolex for the first time with a LMP2 car. They're going to have to spend a lot of money on stickers as far as names are concerned because there are a lot of letters to stand by for these exciting drivers. We've got Fritz van Eerd, of course, from Racing Team Netherlands, the the Yumbo. So there will be a bright yellow LMP2 car, we're very excited to say. Guido van de Garde making his Rolex debut. Charles Malesi and Job van Oetrit. So that's going to be a stacked driver lineup too. Uh, and they will be staying with TDS, uh, running that car in the WEC uh, for the season. Nick de Vries, by the way, is the man who misses out to Job van Oetrit uh, in that Team Tim, where to, thank you, Shea, for the moment. Where to next? <laughs> <laughs> where else? I mean, every time you say where next, we're going to do this. Okay. Uh, it's non-driver of the year next, and the nominees in this category were... Ron Dennis. Ron Dennis, uh, nominated by John. Uh, Fiona Miller, nominated by Johnny. Wayne Taylor, yep. nominated by Shay, And the FIA Safety Commission... Uh, nominated by Nick. And in third place? In third place, I thought, oh, this looks very close because they've got the same percentage. Let's have let's break down, because obviously the percentages are rounded to two decimal places. Let's break it down and count the actual votes. No, these two people had exactly <gasps> the same number of votes. So... With oh, so you can't say it. You'll have to go to second then because otherwise you'll give away who's won before we get to it. Yes, I will. Yeah, so who was second then? In second place is Ron Dennis. 
Ron Dennis, who was nominated not for his motorsport necessarily this year, but for providing more than a million meals for the uh, key workers in the National Health Service. And our non-driver of the year. With 60.34% wow. of the vote. Another the landslide. FIA Safety Commission. Brought into stark uh, relief after Roman Grosjean's uh, accident at the Bahrain Grand Prix earlier this year. Uh, and this is Nick's, uh, Nick's nomination. And to be fair, Nick, you threw a lot of people from a, a long way back, you know, going back as far as Sir Jackie Stewart, Max Mosley, all those people into this. And this is the only one I want to talk about because I think this is a really interesting one to talk about that probably had we not had Roman's horrible accident, we might not have been talking about this this year, but it is very, very relevant every time we go racing in Formula One or in any race anywhere around the world. Yeah, I think, you know, it, 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 it was really about sometimes you need something to focus your attention on the incremental marginal gains that you made year on year on year on year. Yes, there are big points. Yes, the, certainly it was, a, it was the first couple example of a halo, definitely 100% saving someone's life. But, you know, it, but everything else around the strength of the monocoques and, and the ability of the crash structures and the fact that when the wheels fall off, they don't bounce around injuring people because they've tethered. Um, and that has come. And then again, of course, the fact the track was, you know, the track was safe to begin with, which was the, the beginning of the push from, from Jackie. You know, but when in the 60s, when they were using, what, four to six drivers a year, um, you know, it's 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 just I think you know, it's a kind of like a, a, a chance to, to look back and think how far we've come. Obviously, never stand still. There's still more that can be done, but it's uh, it's just I think it's, uh, it's it's great to see that you know Roman walked out of that with yeah, slightly nasty, nasty burnt hands, but that's all. Mm. Yeah, brilliant stuff. Uh, more categories to come uh, later Indeed on. Indeed, right listening? now because this is a oh, really? double uh, oh, double header. Double header. Right, okay. So we're pairing this with Race of the Year. Well, the nominees for Race of the Year were... Oh, right, I'm going to have to scroll down. The uh, IMSA WeatherTech 240 at Daytona. Yes, that was the July race. The Rolex 24 at Daytona. That was the January race. The Formula One Italian Grand Prix at Monza. And the Formula One Turkish Grand Prix. At Intercity Park. This in is third. the closest category oh, between the top three that right. we've had so far. There is a closer really? one to come. But among the okay. top three, I mean, the the IMSA WeatherTech 240 at Daytona got the lowest number of votes of any uh, nominee in any category. <laughs> uh, so looks like it was just yeah. you that liked that, John. Okay. That's really great. That means it's a poor, that poor little race now is crying itself to sleep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just 36 people voted for it. Oh, my goodness, really? Okay. Yes. In That's third fewer place. people who were actually there. <laughs> <laughs> In third place uh, was uh, Johnny Palmer's nomination of the Italian Grand Prix. Oh, okay. Right, okay. In second place... In fact, I don't need to tell you who's second because otherwise I have to give away who's uh, won. The yeah, winner okay. of Race of the Year with 33.17% of the vote. Oh, okay. Right, third. The Turkish Grand Prix. Oh, you're kidding me. Right, okay. 
I'm dying. <laughs> Always the bridesmaid chair. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all I'm saying. Is there a category you haven't been second in yet, Shay? I don't think so. I don't think so. It's not about that, though. No. It really, um, it, it's the listeners. The listeners are the winners, not not us. If we all nominated the people that we perhaps would thought might win, um, then it would look very different because yeah. you know that would be something very different, wouldn't it? And that's not what we do. We we are, we have genuinely held beliefs that we put out there, and you know, and then. We are held to account by our audience, which is the right way, I think, the right way it should be. Uh, by the way, it's 1-1, one, 1-1, one, one, nil, nil, uh, and in the full times, nil, two, five, two, and 1-1, one, one, uh, if you're keeping score at the moment. Can I do a final bit of uh, Michelin? Uh, yes, um, It do. was a sports car news. Um, we talked a couple of weeks ago, Shea, didn't we, about the new GT3 Cup car, the, the new 992 uh, GT3R, as it's called, and we'd said, um, that you know, again, it seems to we seem to precipitate quite a lot of this the news this week. We haven't seen that car yet. It's about time we saw it. Um, and by the way, Elf says uh, Eve says Elf is finished. She's been live tweeting that. Uh, what, uh, the, the French petrol company. Yes, indeed. It's all gone. Finished. <laughs> Found his dad. Titles roll. That's it. Um, and. Uh, lo and behold, uh, Porsche put out the 992 uh, Cup car pictures. It looks absolutely stunning. Looks like no other Cup car we've ever seen. It really has taken on... Um, I mean, it's the first 992, Type 992 body shape car that we've seen from Porsche, uh, from Vysak, from, from Motorsport. Looks like nothing else we've ever seen as, as far as a Cup car is concerned. It is stunning, to put it simply. Um, the only thing about the car that I'm slightly um, iffy on is the fact that the the taillights actually do look like the current um, 911 cars that you see on the street. And I, I'm not a fan of the bar going all the way across. I'll be honest and uh, say that. That's the but made that a thing. race car, mm. ooh, it, it looks good. Uh, already hearing from our contacts at uh, Porsche Motorsport and Vysak, we're expecting to see the car itself uh, giving something like between uh, um, 1% and 2% improvement in lap times. Add to that the fact that we've got in IMSA competition next year, Shea, a Porsche Carrera Cup North America on new Michelin tyres and they have to be new Michelin tyres because this is a new car and for the first time front and rears aren't the same diameter the new Michelin Pilot Sport Cup N3 uh, which is built I'm pretty certain I read somewhere um, at Michelin's Gravange plant in uh, next to Clement Ferrand which is a zero emissions facility which is powered wow. exclusively with renewable energy sources which is that's pretty cool um, in the first place the new cars your uh, London control the new room is powered exclusively by renewable energy by the way is it yes right okay excellent uh, the new tyres um, uh, the rear tyres are the same that are used in the endurance racing or similar to those that are used in endurance racing, this N3, and is a kilogram lighter 
than the car, than the tyres that it replaces. The front tyres, I know, that's all unsprung rate, weight as well. Um, the front tyres is a new size, um, 3065 18s, 10% additional grip compared with the N2s. Um, hmm. So again, that's going to improve uh, lap times. I'm already very excited about this. And when we talked to, when I talked to Dr. Daniel Ambruster uh, earlier in the year about this, they were hoping to get 20 cars. I'm told now they are now expecting to get 20 cars. They knew they were going to get uh, 15. Uh, already, I, I'm told already all of those 20 cars are bought and paid for for the, the IMSA run uh, Porsche Carrera Cup North America. Yeah, whatever the the allocation number was, and again, that has not been publicized, um, that has been sold out since about September, which is when they did announce that it was going to be the Carrera Cup North America, um, which the cars are set to arrive sometime in February. We don't know early February or late February, but the season begins in the middle of March at Sebring International Raceway. So not a whole heck of a lot of time for drivers to adapt quickly to be able to figure out the cars to go out and do a bunch of testing and all that, meaning the results we're going to see from the first races of the season versus the end of the season, I think we'll be seeing some different winners across Mm. that span. Uh, And, of course, the big draw for that, if you haven't heard that, Daniel Ambruster, if you go and look it up, um, but the big draw for that share is that because now the IMSA Championship is allied with all of the other Carrera Cups globally, that when uh, the young driver is chosen to go across to Europe, and they will be, they'll be running on the same tyres in the shootout as everybody else. So much less of a learning curve, and in some ways, uh, which will please the EU massively, a more level playing field. For sure, and that will help uh, whatever young ambassador is sent over from North America to try and adapt because that has been a serious learning curve in years past. And you can talk to people like Trenton Estep, like Roman DeAngelis, who have been over in the last couple of years who have struggled with that exact issue. So it is going to be something good for whatever champion we get out of 2021. Shea Adam with Nick Damon and they're joining me, John Hindoff and our executive producer up in London is Tim Gray, Midweek Motorsport, show of the year. What's next? Uh, Shay mentioned the words young driver there. Oh, yes, she did. So we're going to announce the winner of uh, young driver of 2020 category. The nominees in this category were Ryan Uh Norman, nominated by Shay. Tom Gamble, nominated by Johnny. Uh, Robert Schwartzman, nominated by Nick. Yep. And Yuki Sonoda, nominated by John. Of which more later, I would think. Yeah. We've got a story about him later. In third place, Robert Schwartzman. In second place, Tom Gamble. Which means the winner, with 55.87% of the vote... Oh, it's another big, big win. ...was Yuki Tsunoda. By the way, before we talk about Yuki, because I'm sure you've got some... um, News we do, this. but first we have some other young driver news. Uh, okay, go ahead. Yeah, go up. Uh, and this is uh, Formula 3 news because the Premier Power team, which uh, uh, 
has previously provided such Formula 3 stars as uh, Robert Schwartzman and uh, Mick Schumacher. Oscar Piastri um, has uh, announced its first signing for 2021. And who's that, Nick? No idea. Noah Idea. Noah Idea. I know, I know Pistori is actually joining uh, Schwartzman in, the G- in F2 next year at uh, Premier Power Team. Yeah, but we're not coming on to that Leslie yet. Leslie Toulouse. It is I, Leclerc. <laughs> Charles, is it uh, Arthur Leclerc? Arthur Leclerc. Really? Runner-up of mm. the uh, Formula Regional Championship this year, and last year, of course, third in the German Formula 4 Championship. He is the younger brother of Charles Leclerc. Is he a Ferrari um, development driver? He is driver, a yeah? Ferrari Academy driver. So. Yes, odd that, isn't it? Which Prima seem to get all of those, don't they? They do, yes. Well, it's yeah. a good service, so why not? Yep, absolutely right. In the same way that uh, Carden get all the Red Bull ones and uh, Arden get all of the... Uh, Just before we move on, Scott Cole says, ah, missed out on the voting. I would have uh, nominated Bathurst 12 hours for the race of the year, what stood over the qualifying shunts and then the race itself coming down to Bentley winning hard to believe. That was all the way back in February. Scott, uh, that was a fair call and I got very close to nominating that myself, if I'm honest. Uh, yeah, it was right there in the running. Absolutely. Uh, sorry. Anyway, young drivers, carry on, Tim. Uh, yes, uh, we're now going to uh, do this. Oh, well, we're not going to do the Yuki Sonoda news. Uh, no, we're going to do that uh, immediately after this. Okay. Which is the results of the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Award for All 2020. Right. So this was a little bit different because uh, our we didn't nominate con- these. Our contributors nominate one and then you vote on it. This, it was an absolutely open vote. You could nominate anybody or any uh, team, body, etc. And then we brought that down into the top four and then put them up on the voting form. And the top four were as follows, Tim. Uh, They were Chase Elliott, Mike Conway, John Doonan and Scott Dixon. And in third place? Uh, Was John Doonan. Uh, president of IMSA in this most difficult year, having just taken it on. In second. This was a very close one as well, but in second place, um, and only 30 points behind the eventual winner, was Mike votes. Conway. Wow. 30 votes behind the... Yeah, not 30 points. 30 <laughs> votes. Mike Mike Conway comes in second again. Him and Shea have the same problems. Ouch. <laughs> At least he won the championship this year. He did win the championship this year, but he still hasn't won the board. Okay, moving on. Uh, the winner of the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Award for 2020 yep. is Scott Dixon. Of course it is. Uh, Once wins he wins IndyCar. everything. And we're talking about Scott uh, in our IndyCar uh, review with Jeremy Shaw, Shea and myself after this show tonight. So have we just got Person of the Year now? Yes. And that okay, is so what we will end the show with. Okay. Uh, but After. In, we... in between uh, then and yeah. now, we've got some Formula One news. So we want to welcome back Nick Damon. Hurrah. Uh, let's start with the Young Driver Test, which has been going on this week and has featured such young drivers as Sebastian Buemi and Fernando Alonso. It was Very just a driver guys. test. That's not what the press release from Williams the... says. Well, the not having driven in F1 races for the last two year test, unless, of course, you happen to be um, 
parachuted in the last minute during the last two races of tests. It was just the driver test. Yes. Carry on. Um, tell us what's happened, Nick, so far. Yeah, Fernando Alonso was fastest. That's the key point. He's young, he's quick, but he did a, he did a qualifying simulation. Uh, both Mercedes drivers were quick, had a nice time, which was uh, um, Nick De Vries and um, Stoffel van Dorn. Um, Boemi, Sebastian Boemi um, had an accident, so he got limited running. Can't remember who the other guy was riding for Red Bull. It's completely escaped my mind at the moment. It was, it was Yuri Vips, wasn't it? it was Yuri Vips. Vips. And yeah. uh, getting a nice day's practice in the car, he's now going to take over for surprising no one. It's Yuki Sonoda with Alpha Tori. Alpha Taurine. Yes, well, that would be some of it, yes. <laughs> Alpha Taurine, as, as we discussed, cannot race in France. Oh, no, indeed. That is true. Uh, uh, who else this... uh, featured? Uh, Sonoda was fifth fastest, by the way, today. Um, uh, Mick Schumacher did a million million laps, but they were all quite slow because he was in a Haas. Very slow. He was uh, a tenth off the next slowest car, which was the Williams of uh, Roy Nissany. But we should yeah. say these are all this year's cars. So, yeah. you know, in, in terms of going forward, it doesn't help Alonso for next year. It's not next year's tyres. It's not next year's aero. Um, this is basically just the opportunity to re-familiarise yourself or familiarise yourself with a Formula One car. Yeah, and work with your engineers who'll be your engineers. Yeah, that's a good year. point. Um, and get the much later iterations, the steering wheels and everything else. It's a very good, it's a, yeah, it's a great, great preparation day. It's much better than running a two-year-old car, even though the actual performance itself is not that important. Robert Klitzer was fourth. Was he? Yep. Yes, he's doing a bit of, he's nice, he's a nice young driver as well. <laughs> For Alfa Romeo. Uh, so let's talk about uh, Yuki Tsunoda. He has, uh, been given the uh, Avatari uh, drive. Rightly uh, so. Although, if you were looking at a popular motorsport website this morning, you might have been confused and thought that it was someone else. Why? Well, tell us, Tim, because I haven't seen that, that particular situation. Uh, the photograph that they uh, oh, did the wrong helmet. Um, not the wrong helmet, the wrong driver. Ah. They uh, uh, they uh, <laughs> illustrated the uh, story with a picture of Marino Sato. Ah, ah, casual racism in the, in the picture. Okay, the picture uh, editor again there. Hey, they did not. Yes, they did. <sighs> right. Okay. But no, I think I think Snowden, you know, and you know, rightly. Um, has been given his chance. I don't think Danny Kvyat, whilst he hasn't done anything wrong, was doing anything right, so there's no much point keeping him. The point about Toro Rosso is it's supposed to be a feeder for the big team. They're obviously failing at the moment to do that because the last two t people they fed failed, and then when the other person started succeeding again, they decided they didn't want him anymore, so they needed to start stacking the bottom of the pile again. Um, and, you know, Snowden you know, did the right thing and, and came on strong at the back end of the season with some good results in the last couple of rounds. So, you know, good luck to him. Uh, we have more details about next year's uh, Brazilian Grand Prix and, in fact, uh, subsequent Brazilian Grand Prix is up to 2025. Well, then, no, you got it wrong because there aren't any Brazilian Grand Prix. The Formula One group has announced that Interlagos will host the Sao Paulo Grand Prix in Brazil until 2025. It's called the Sao Paulo Grand Prix. It's not yeah. called the Brazilian Grand Prix anymore. Ah, oh, really? Why? 
I assume perhaps probably because they've fallen out with the uh, the president of Brazil over the whole Rio thing. They decide to sidestep it and um, it, they're going to call it the Sao Paulo Grand Prix, but it's actually actually financed by Abu Dhabi. Presumably the <laughs> Brazilian Grand Prix has to take place in Rio now because they've got a contract to host the Brazilian Grand Prix. Yeah, I mean, I'm circuit. sure that's not far off it, yeah. Yeah, it's not far off, I don't think. But, um, yeah, it's not going to take place. They're certainly not going to put two races in uh, in, in um, Brazil at the moment. But the one race they have is no longer called the Brazilian Grand Prix. It's called the, the Sao Paulo Grand Prix. And the, the excellent news, of course, for Formula One management is they'll actually be paid a hosting fee, which, of course, they never were because they inherited Bernie's freebie. It's a great joy to be able to announce that Interlagos will continue to host one of the most important events in world motorsport, said uh, Bruno Covas, the mayor of Sao Paulo. Yes, and it's also great news to report that we've got lots of Abu Dhabi money, so we can actually afford to uh, get the track up to the stand of F1 10 years ago, rather than where it is at the moment, which is F1 20 years ago. Uh, McLaren has uh, some new owners. Ka-ching! They've got new partial investors. Not owners, they just bought a chunk. Okay. They don't own it. So, the, the, so this owned is, by the Bahraini royal family. This is uh, is this second or third time lucky for these investors because they were trying to buy Force India, and I no, think they tried to buy Williams before that, didn't they? Yeah, I mean the thing is they haven't bought them. They they bought a chunk of and just the F one team. It's it's substantial of, chunk of yeah, thirty percent I think. Mm. Um, but there is, of course, the other, the other thing about it is it's very much demarcation, demarked in that it is just for the F1 team. It's not for the sports mm. car team. It's not for the indie team. It's not certainly not for the road car or for the various other elements in which manufacturing uh, McLaren. It's purely a cash injection of the F1 team. Uh, double retirement news, uh, starting with Jerome Stoll, president of Renault Sport Racing, who's going to step down on the 31st of December. He's done five years. It was very, very, very hard, and now it's going to Alpine. Thirty-three percent, I'm told, by the way, uh, by no. our financial correspondent. Yes, Three that's, so that's not bad for me. Uh, and at Ferrari. Uh, oh, well, yes, um, uh, Camilleri has, has mysteriously resigned. Um, the the um, uh, he stepped away to spend more time with his family. Um, yeah, but with no warning, instantaneously. That normally means, normally that means there's about to be a scandal or there's been some very bad, sad news in his family. That's what, that's why you do that, isn't it? Yes. Um, not we, the only thing that we have been told is, and and I, I frankly I don't need to know, but um, it, that it's not COVID related. Um, but for the moment, John Elkan, who who was his boss anyway, has taken over responsibility for that part of the business. And and just so you know, um, no no form of ambulance chasing here. But today in the press, Luca Montezemolo is quoted as saying, "I could fix Ferrari." No way. Yep. Uh, and and uh, by the he way, he did so well last time. Camilleri did the first has, time. has resigned from uh, from everything, not just what he was doing. So uh, that included, by the way, his Philip Morris directorship. Um, always a source of some controversy um, with cigarette advertising not allowed in Formula One, but Ferrari still somehow managing to get money from Philip Morris um, mm. uh, uh, for various things. That's That, that has been controversial. But but uh, Camilleri's resigned from that as well, Nick. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't... It, you know, 
we, we can spec that and everything else, but it, obviously it sounds like a major life choice to do this. And obviously he's a very, very wealthy man. So hopefully it is not because somebody is um, facing an uncertain future. Yeah, let's wish the best. Um, shock remi- uh, retirement. His, his biggest thing, frankly, is when he, when he took it over, um, the stock price was at 113 euros and it went up to 179 uh, was a massive supporter of motorsport and particularly Formula One. Uh, it, it will be interesting to see what happens after Lewis Camilleri. Um, and let's not forget, Nick, he stepped in under dark days when Sergio yeah, Martioni yeah. Uh, had, uh, 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 died, in fact, didn't he? Yeah, mm. yeah on, the, on the operating table, just off the operating table, yes. Yes. Um, so it's been successful for Camilleri and... Uh, you know, whatever it is, it's not for us to pry, but let's hope that it isn't anything that is going to uh, cause problems or worries uh, or any sort of tragic consequences for his family. So we wish Absolutely, him all the 100%. Yeah. Uh, and on a similar note, well, not at all similar note, uh, uh, Sir Frank <laughs> Williams has uh, recently been admitted to hospital where uh, he's in yes. a stable condition. Uh, the... Uh, family have said that his medical dis- condition is a private matter and will not be releasing any further details. Yeah, it's been pneumonia, didn't he? I um, have last year, and I have so. absolutely no problem with that. And all I want to do is say again, wish them all, all the best, and that's all we need to say. It's not our right. I, uh, you know, I, I have issues with sometimes with people who say, "Oh, it's our right to know." We, you know, we ought to be no. It's nobody's right. It's the family's right to tell people what they feel they need to tell them and nobody else's. And we wish them all the very, very best uh, in uh, difficult circumstances a partic- at any time of year, but particularly at this time of year. Uh, moving on, Tim, oh, we must be nearly at the end of the show. Uh, very nearly. Uh, we, I did promise earlier that we'd do a Crown Court uh, today. Um, St- I- we may have to adjourn that. I don't think we have time. adjourn that. Basically, <laughs> it involved uh, the uh, Marzipan family uh, who... Uh, oh, but, the, but the good news is that he's going to appeal. So that can come back. Yes, we can We can do it when the appeal comes. Uh, they lost in, uh, in the High Court today. All uh, right, okay. Which means uh, it's time for this. We should end our show tonight with a reminder that uh, you need to stay tuned on RS1. For the IndyCar 2020 review, Jeremy Shaw will join Sheer Adam and me, John Hindorf, for that. But now, it's the big one. Our individual of the year. And the nominations were, Tim. Uh, the nominations were, from Nick Damon, Lewis Hamilton. Unsurprisingly. Uh, from Shea Adam, Nick Tandy. Possibly unsurprisingly as well. Uh, from Johnny Palmer, Philippe Albuquerque. Oh, which I thought was a very interesting choice, but he's won a lot of sports car races in Europe uh, and WEC this year. And from John Heintoff, Johnny Ray. Much underrated, multiple world champion and deserves recognition, more recognition than he's had. A knighthood, I think he should have. Uh, well, the good news is that uh, Shea has not finished second in this uh, category. <laughs> She's finished third. In third place, no. uh, it's Nick Tandy. <laughs> no! <laughs> right. 
this was a very, very close result. Was um, it? Yes. Uh, very, very close. Um, in second place, with 32.82% of the vote. Right. Lewis Hamilton. And our midweek motorsport person of the year for 2020, as voted by you, the listener, is... With 33... 33.10% of the vote. That was close. The person of the year, 2020, is... Philippe Albuquerque. Very well deserved. Very well deserved. Very well deserved. Fabulous year, Philippe. And, uh, well, that I, in some ways, that maybe is a little bit of a shock result, but well done to United Autosport, Philippe Albuquerque. Thank you to Johnny, to Shea, to Nick for the nominations, for Tim for putting it all together, uh, and to, of course, the responsible adult for all of our previous shows in 2020. Season 15 seems to have disappeared very quickly indeed over the previous 48 shows. Uh, coming up, our uh, review of IndyCar, the NTT IndyCar series, and tune in next Wednesday... At 8 o'clock, we will have a LMDH special. Um, not sure what form that's going to take at the moment, but we've definitely got a couple of interviews confirmed. So we'll have that next Wednesday as a bonus, a midweek motorsport Christmas special. And while you're on, search on RadioLamont.com on the front page on the search for Feehan, F-E-H-A-N, and remind yourself why Doug Feehan is absolutely irreplaceable in the sports car paddocks Can I also point out some other shows coming up? Also next Wednesday is the Formula One uh, review of the season. Oh, is it? Excellent. Yes. Uh, where Joe Bradley will be joining Nick Damon. Well, he did the preview, so it's myself. only right and proper. Uh, yeah. We also have uh, December's edition of the Historic Racing News uh, show. That's on the 30th. 10pm. There's an ELMS review coming up, there's a WEC review and there's two more IMS reviews coming up as well. Good night. Check the website for details. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com